This podcast is brought to you thanks to the generous support of Columbia Bank and Tacoma Creates. Hello, and welcome to Tacoma Arts Live podcast series on our theater program, where we will dive into a particular production and the social positioning of each program. My name is David Fisher. I'm executive director at Tacoma Arts Live, and today I'm wearing a blue checkered shirt, a green cover, and a red Santa Clara baseball cap in honor of my son, who's graduating this uh, June from Santa Clara. So... I'm uh, middle-aged, wear glasses, and have salt and pepper hair and a beard that's more salt than pepper. Today, we're going to be focusing on Kim's Convenience by Inns Choi, and that's going to run June 2nd with a preview and opening night June 3rd through June 19 at Tacoma's Theater on the Square. This is a wonderful uh, collective project. Uh, We have got incredible creative team behind us. Thanks to a partnership with Taproot Theater in Seattle. And today we'll be joined by the members, uh, two members of the cast, Leah Lee and uh, the co-director, David Shea. So uh, really happy to have them here joining us. We want to thank our sponsors for this podcast series, Columbia Bank, wonderful locally owned bank that is uh, emerging As a West Coast powerhouse, Columbia Bank, we thank you for the support. And Tacoma Creates, the locally passed initiative uh, that creates a taxing authority for Tacoma and generates revenues to help support uh, theater, uh, arts, heritage, and science nonprofits in this community. So we're grateful to the residents of Tacoma. I want to give uh, an acknowledgement to say Tacoma Arts Live respectfully acknowledges that we gather on the traditional lands of the Puyallup people, and we pay our respects to elders both past and present. Tacoma Arts Live theater program has been going really since 2009. We've done about 24 productions uh, so far, and as we were doing them occasionally, we Beginning in 2018, then our Board of Trustees authorized us to make a permanent expansion to our program and produce live theater at a professional level here in Tacoma. And so we've been doing that. Even through the pandemic, we were doing it on Zoom, and uh, we had to put one of our productions on hold for about 18 months, but we were finally able to get Tribes up and on its feet, and that sort of kicked us off into the pandemic after period, we hope, and uh, now we have launched a number of productions and uh, we'll end our season this year with Kim's Convenience. We'll tell you more about that. The whole goal of our theater program is that first we share curatorial leadership among Pacific Northwest professional theater folk. That is that we gather them together and talk about new plays and new ideas about uh, programs that we can produce here and plays that will resonate in the community to engage empathy, spark community conversations, broaden greater understanding of one another, bring joy, challenge, laughter, catharsis. 
it's a key program for us, uh, and it's one that we use to help expand community access by providing free tickets uh, across the community. So we're deeply committed to these programs and excited to see Kim's Convenience come to our stage. The play is a wonderful play. It's actually uh, launched the Netflix TV series. It's become quite a hit, but it was written prior to that TV series, and uh, it sets the whole story in motion, a convenience store located in the heart of downtown Toronto. And uh, Mr. Kim uh, is uh, working hard to serve an eclectic array of customers, catching petty thieves and helping uh keep uh, the police surprised of illegally parked uh, cars in front of his store. As the neighborhood quickly gentrifies, Mr. Kim is offered a generous sum of money to sell, enough to allow him and his wife to finally retire. But Kim's convenience is more than just his livelihood. It's his legacy. As Mr. Kim tries desperately, and with some comedy in the mix, to convince his daughter Janet, a budding photographer, to take over the store, his wife seeks to meet their estranged son, uh, who has not been seen or spoken to since he was 16 years old. All of this is the mix of family love, connection, struggle, and business. Uh, it's an absolutely wonderful play. Inns Choi is the author, is born in South Korea and grew up in Scarborough, New York. Uh, now part of uh, the city of Toronto. He's a poet, playwright, and actor who graduated from the acting program at York University in 1998. His first play, this play, Kim's Convenience, was a huge success in the 2011 Toronto Fringe Festival, where it won the new play contest and the Patron's Pick Award. So he really got out of the gates early and fast with this wonderful play. Now I have the pleasure of introducing uh, our guest with me in the studio. Uh, David Shea uh, is uh, the uh, co-director of this production of Kim's Convenience. And uh, David is the uh, founding artistic director of REACT uh, Theater in Seattle. And he's usually kept very busy wearing many, many different hats. And so we'll get to know a little bit more about David Welcome, David. Thank you. It's yeah. great to be here. You want to give folks uh, at home a description of uh, what you're wearing and that kind of thing? Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> well, let's see. I'm wearing a, sort of a, a, a greenish shirt with a corduroy brown pants and, and my pea coat right now because <laughs> it was cold outside. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's the mildest January we've had in uh, years, uh, all here in May. Yeah. Right? Everyone <laughs> says, why is it November already? This <laughs> <laughs> is let up, will you? Yeah. And also, I'm joined by Leah Lee, who's a Seattle-based actress, Korean-American uh, dancer, singer, actress, uh, completed her master's in film studies at the University College London, and has had the privilege of living and performing in the U.S., U.K., and South Korea. And Leah, it's great to have you back in this role and working with you again. We've worked before uh, on a education program, right? Yes. Well, first, first of all, yes. 
Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be back here and to be here with this lovely trio <laughs> on this podcast. I know. Um, yeah. How many years ago was that? It oh, was... my goodness. I would say that's about seven years ago, maybe. That was a production of Nihonjin Face, which was the story of uh, Japanese incarceration yes, uh, from yeah. a Tacoma-based family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, we're remounting that in a couple of days at... Uh, the Washington State History Museum. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. That was my first taste of, well, I guess back then it was the Broadway Center for right. the Performing Arts. That's right. Um, uh-huh. Before we now know Tacoma Arts Live. Um, but yeah. Oh, should I also yes, describe what I'm wearing? Yes, because we're all dying to be <laughs> fashion focused here. So. <laughs> uh, today I am very casually dressed, I'd say. I'm wearing a quarter zip oversized sweater, probably a men's uh, sweater, to be honest, that I found at Value Village. Nice. Um, a pair of black trousers and some chunky white sneakers. And my hair is, it's looking all right today. It's its uh, semi-curled, relaxed, a relaxed wave, as they'd say. You both look great. <laughs> oh, you look great as well, David. Oh, thank you. Okay. Hey, it's great to have you both here. Um, David, why don't you tell us a little bit about... Um, So you run REACT Theater uh, in Seattle. Tell us a little bit about that program and mostly how you came to theater and why you are committed. Yeah, well, so uh, I kind of grew up doing theater. Um, uh, I I, uh, grew up in North Seattle, uh, went to Nathan Hill High School, and um, my sister, who's a year older than I am, actually started doing theater when she was a freshman in high school and, of course, being her sibling and being rivalrous, I guess. Uh, <laughs> when I joined the following year, I also tried out for some of the shows at school and got cast and got bitten by the drama bug and have been doing theater ever since. Yeah. Um, the original pandemic is the theater bug. I yeah. <laughs> um, and this was all many, many, many years ago, more than I care to admit. Um, but so once I sort of got out into the world and started doing theater as a professional, um, you know, there weren't a lot of opportunities for artists of color or Asian American um, artists at the time. And so um, there was one one theater in Seattle, the Northwest Asian American Theater. They are no longer producing. But um, uh, they were around when I was young and starting out. And so I started volunteering there and doing work there. And um, uh, after a year or so, there was a, a summer where they just didn't have anything going on. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun to kind of do a show with my friends? <laughs> and so we all sort of got together and did a production of a play that I had... Uh, been cast in in high school and also did a community college or community theater uh, production of as well uh, after I graduated uh, from high school. Um, so it was a play that was really dear to my heart because I'd already done it twice. And so I thought, well, I'd love to direct this show. And yeah. So which, I cast, which play was that? It was called The Curious Savage by John Patrick. Curious Savage. Uh, it's yeah. written in 1950s. It's a lovely little uh, comedy drama about um this uh, wealthy woman who is committed into a, an insane asylum by her greedy children, uh, and it sort of just shows how the people in the asylum are the the lovely people, and it's the evil people outside in the world that are kind of the crazy ones. The sane people in the asylum. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's just a charming, lovely, heartwarming show. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I thought, well, let's let's do an Asian American cast version of it. So we cast all the parts as Asian Americans. Um, it went out pretty well. I mean, we didn't. People came. Uh-huh. <laughs> the set was gorgeous. I had a lot of fun. The show didn't lose money, and so 
um, that's sort of how React got started. We that, just kept doing it since then. Not um, losing money is victory. Yeah. Yes. And, and I mean, that hasn't always been the case. In, in <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Nearing 30-year history now as, oh, a, wow. as a company. That's great. Um, and so our main focus, of course, is just to create opportunities for uh, underserved artists, whatever that means, whether it's because of their ethnicity, whether it's because of their gender, whether it's because of their sexual orientation, whatever it might be, um, disability, et cetera. Uh, and we also try to provide it a, a diverse um, slate of productions as well. So we do musicals and dramas and comedies and uh, you know solo performances. And uh, uh, our last production was uh, a psychic comedian, which was very well received. That's uh, fantastic. So yeah. That's so great. So tell me uh, a little bit about where do you perform and um, yeah, because I think I saw one of your shows. Was it at the 12th Avenue, is that? Uh, yes, probably 12th where I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. um, so uh, we actually don't actually have our own venue yet. Uh -huh. um, I mean, that's something we're ultimately working towards. But um, in our in our history, we've always just rented other spaces that were available. Sure. Uh, and, and more appropriate to the production we were doing. So if we're doing a large production of Into the Woods, it would be you know at a at a large musical at a house, house yeah. as opposed to a smaller, more intimate play that might be in a smaller venue. Right. Yeah. Right. So we performed. Pretty much, if there's a stage in Seattle, at some point we've performed a show there. Fantastic. Uh, at one time or another through the years. Um, we've had various bases, like sort of quote-unquote home bases, where we've done a majority of our shows, um, but we're still sort of uh, uh, an itinerant sort yeah. of floating around Well, here. the yeah. freedom that offers is good, and it keeps expenses down. Yeah, there's uh, pros and cons. There's, there's pros definitely and pros and cons. And cons. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I've starred in that movie <laughs> <laughs> as yeah. well. So, well, it that's great. Thank you for all of that, and thanks for being a part of Kim's Convenience. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm excited to have you uh, uh, relaunch this with us, and I'll talk more about that in a second. But, Leah, tell us a little bit about um, your background. How did you come to theater, and you've been all over the world doing this work. Uh, um, yeah, well, I, um, let's see, you know, I didn't grow up going to see shows or really having theater a part of my life. Um, but I was in junior high getting this sense of, you know, I've been kind of in the, in the background. I had worked as a stage manager for my junior high productions. Uh, I w was usually the type of student who was keeping the logistics together and telling people where to go and what to do. And I, I am that person, 100% <laughs> to my core. That's truly who I am. Um, but yeah, at, at that point in my life, I was also wanting to expand my sense of self. Um, I wanted to see if I could be more than what other people saw me as. Mm -hmm. And so my first year at Curtis Senior High School, uh, I auditioned for the musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And from that point on, I I also got the the theater drama bug. And my whole life I'd I'd been musical. I had taken piano lessons. Um, I was playing viola. I started that when I was in fourth grade. And um, my uh, aunt is a piano teacher, so music was always a huge part of my life, and musicals then were just kind of the next, I think, progression in exploring that. And, you know, I, um, this is, I don't know if this is related, but my, my late grandmother, my mother's mother, 
I didn't really get to know her. To be honest, I didn't know much of my grandparents. Many of them died um, before I was even born or when I was very young. But she had a very posthumous effect on me. Hmm. Uh, when I, after she passed away, found out that she, or not, not just found out, I knew that she was musical. I knew that she played guitar in her church and she played ukulele and sang. I, I had this almost, no, it was, it was traumatizing at the time. I had this kind of traumatizing experience at maybe age 10, visiting her in Hawaii, where she was belly dancing in the living room for us. And as a 10-year-old <laughs> meeting your grandmother for the first time, <clears throat> it's, it's a lot to take in. But uh, yeah, after she passed away, I really appreciated just how beautiful of a person she was and heard all these stories from my mother mostly, who she then heard from relatives in Korea, how she had all of this talent and desire to to explore other avenues um, career-wise and also personally and in hobbies. But because of the fact that she was a woman, because you know she was divorced and all these social stigmas that are so quite taboo in Korea, um, she it was much more difficult for her to to do those kinds of things. And so in high school, I kind of felt like this mission to to do all these things that my grandmother didn't have the access to or the privilege to do Mm -hmm. when she was younger. And that really set me on this this journey of uh, continuing to pursue acting and theater making and filmmaking um, and pursuing this mission of greater diversity within all the different mediums of representation for Asian Americans and the Asian diaspora. Um, It's something I never, yeah, as a child, imagined myself being, um, you know, being involved with. Mm. But you just kind of, or at least for me, I should speak for myself, I found myself on this train that keeps moving and every time you get tired and beaten down and you don't think you want to continue on you meet people like David Shea here who who cast me as Kathy in the last five years which is a role that I never thought I thought I could play and that also just goes to show the kind of problematic (laughs) I guess um ways of thinking that I'm still working through this limiting kind of framework um, that I was raised with because I was Asian American. Um, And yeah, you just meet more and more people who are like-minded, who see the world um, and its issues and also its beauty in similar ways. And also you meet people who see things from a completely different perspective. And that's so exciting and being able to work with them and and create with them. And being able to step into characters that are completely out of your own experience and bring them to life. and uh, Exactly. It's, it's I amazing. got to play yeah. a fox in uh, David's production of, of Salty. With, with, uh, yeah, that was, that was certainly a role I, <laughs> yeah, playing, playing a fox, a quite murderous fox as well. <laughs> evil. <laughs> a lot of evil fun. Evil fox, yes. A lot of fun. I love well, that show. <laughs> I like uh, how you've taken your grandmother's spirit and challenge and the hindrance that she experienced and you're going to help 
even posthumously show her the way mm-hmm. that uh, you have been inspired uh, to overcome, right? I think that's beautiful. I hope so. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. I like how both of you brought in uh, family uh, members into this. David, your sister Kathy, who is a powerhouse uh, also, and you, uh, with the work that you do and your grandmother and and all of that, because it couldn't be a better frame for having the conversation about uh, Kim's convenience, which is so rooted in family, right? Absolutely. Um, So this production was uh, originally launched at Taproot Theater, who we are so happy to be in partnership with and remounting this. And uh, I think all but one of the characters is uh, back. Is that right? No, everyone is back. Everybody is back? It's the original cast. That's amazing. It really is. It really is a feat. I'm so happy to hear that. I got to tell you, as an audience member, when I came to see the show, I was so blown away. Uh, by this, not not just um, the script, which is so powerful and strong, because it, you know at one point you're laughing hysterically, and then a minute and a half later you're sobbing. It's astounding. It's <laughs> it's the pinnacle of what great storytelling can and should be is mm-hmm. to take you on that kind of a journey, and this play does do that. But it was also about the ensemble. And it is a group of actors uh, shepherded by good leadership at the directorial level who um, were just so in sync and uh, so clearly loving and struggling uh, all at once uh, <laughs> as, as a family and as a set of uh, neighborhood characters that come and go. So I, I just fell in love with it immediately. And I think... Maybe three or four days later, I was uh, on the phone with uh, Scott Nolte and Karen Lund at Taproot and said, hey, how do we do this? we got to bring it to Tacoma. And so <laughs> finally, and that what is maybe three years later. Yeah. yeah Pandemic right? delayed. Pandemic oh, delayed. Happened. Right. So I'm so very happy uh, to be bringing this show here. Um, let's talk a little bit about that family structure and what you think are some of the... Uh, traditional structures that are being depicted in the play and how things are being challenged a little bit. Does that make sense? What comes to your mind when I say that? Well, it's a, I mean, when you boil it down to it, it's an immigrant family, right? So I think that there's a a sort of a a universal understanding of what that feels like for uh, all of us in America, because everyone here, other than the Native American communities, uh, well, even them have, have migrated here as well. <laughs> They've come from somewhere. Right? Yes, yeah. exactly. And so, uh, uh, you know, whether it's the current generation or generations removed, I think we all still uh, automatically understand that feeling. And of course, um, subpoints, uh, subplots in the story include um, illness, include uh, just. Uh, antagonism between family members um th- that loss of 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 uh, just loss in general i think and 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 so we um there, there's a lot to relate to yeah and so we can clearly see ourselves in many ways yeah regardless of our backgrounds in in the stories and in the characters and that so, intergenerational struggle yes, right so absolutely. the um the younger generation born in 
uh, North America uh, versus the immigrant elders, yes? Correct. And mm -hmm. that struggle with uh, assimilation and uh, hanging on to uh, tradition. Yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree with David that this is a story where everyone can relate to something in it. Um, you know, with the Kims, it is this, it is definitely an immigrant story with, yeah, the parents have immigrated from, from South Korea and, or I assume it's South Korea. Um, and the, the, the kids are, as we understand, Canadian or born in North America. And so there, there is naturally that different value set from, from the beginning. There's a whole completely different lens in which they, they view priorities in life and how to spend money, how to spend time. And uh, at least for, for Janet, um, a, a particular moment comes up where, or it, it comes out throughout, where Appa, her father, continually, continually brings up her age and the fact that she's now 30 years old. And um, it, for him and his, where how he grew up, by that point, you are a parent already. Your, your life, um, if, you, if your life is, in air quotes here, together, then uh, you've got a stable job, stable income. You probably have a child already, and you're then also able to take care of your parents. But that's not where Janet is in her life uh, at that point as a Korean-Canadian. And going back to also the, the family structures, when I first read the script, having never seen the Netflix show before I, I got the script, I was struck by how not traditional this rep representation of a Korean diasporic family was, especially one in North America, because from the beginning, we get the sense that the son, Jung, is estranged. Uh, we learn later that he has been for a while. He left home when he was 16. So not even 18. But he was he was 16. And, um, you know, we learn that he didn't leave home at 16 to, you know, have a flourishing life. He has had a difficult, difficult life since he left home. And in Korean culture, it's very uncommon to talk openly about tension within family, especially if a, if a child didn't finish high school, didn't go to college, uh, and goes into a trade. Those are pretty taboo, even, even to this day. And uh, to see that in a play uh, and to feel the tension and the awkwardness that um, Jung's situation affected the entire family was unlike anything I'd seen uh, up until that point as far as, yeah, plays and how they were telling stories about the, the Korean influence experience. Yeah. Um, I'd like to talk about the father character uh, a little bit. And um, because he's such a, uh, an amazing mix of tradition and pride and, you know, owning his leadership in the family. Yes. But it is so thin in my 
experience of watching it and the emotions of it is how really fragile all of what he's trying to hold together is. Is that, do you get that? Yeah, I yeah. mean, well, he's he's trying to live in a in society that doesn't really exist anymore. Many times the character has been compared to Archie Bunker in, in different ways, and I can see that, but it, he, I think he, he has his traditions, he has his beliefs, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it's from it's from a it's from a bygone era almost, yeah, and right. uh, and I think he's grappling with adjusting as well and making mm. uh, making sacrifices, making changes, um, uh, dealing with the you know every every issue as they arise. You know, um, it, it, the play is full of hard choices, and uh, and they have to be made instantaneously, and they often are. Mm. In my yeah. And, and yet, with all of that, I don't want it to sound too heavy uh, because it juxtapositions itself um, between those hard choices and the irony of the moment, yeah. which then mm-hmm. explodes with comedy. Yeah. yeah. It's just so wonderfully structured. It's, yeah. It's amazing. I, I, this, this play landed on my desk when it was first published, after, uh, probably around 2011 after the Fringe Fest, you know, when it first was gaining popularity and and you know it sort of stayed in my pile i thought oh <laughs> an asian american or an asian canadian play and, and 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 i wasn't familiar with the playwright and so i i didn't kind of look at it for a while and then one night i just kind of picked it up and read it and i just fell in love with the play yeah and then a few years later to be asked by taproot to co-direct it i was just wow. you know, on cloud nine <laughs> um I had not seen the Netflix series at that point either yet. Oh. But then, of course, started. I, I binge watched them as, <laughs> the moment I, I was offered the directorship. And then I fell in love with the TV series as well, which is, of course, is similar but not quite the same. It sort mm-hmm. of deviated from Inz's original basic story, which which is the play, basically. Right. Um, uh, and then to work on the show which, with such a dream cast and a That's dream great. production and, and to have Inz come out and see it and uh-huh. spend a week with Inz as well, looking at. He's an amazing artist. He really is. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, everything he does is just phenomenal. He he did this uh, talk, sort of a preview, sort of get to know ins event at Taproot when he was here in town, and he played the guitar. He played the guitar. Oh my goodness! Amazing. He was just wow. Like, There's nothing he can't do. That's yeah. great. Oh, I had no idea. That's wonderful. <laughs> I forgot Terrific. about that because yeah. also when you meet ins, he he's he's large in frame. He's quite tall, broad shoulders, but his his kind of aura is very, very relaxed um, from the outside. He it's almost unassuming apart from from his physical stature. And yeah, to see him at that, it wasn't even really a talk back. But yeah, an evening with Ince, I guess. <laughs> and he he's very. Oh, I mean, almost um, oh, the word is escaping me. He's kind of a showman. I mean, he he, he yeah he he naturally is a showman. He's yeah. he's a natural showman, but but it's it's like his best kept secret. Uh-huh. Little, and suddenly uh-huh. it comes uh-huh. out. Well, I don't Un- think a lot of people. Along the way, yeah. And I yeah. think I think I think Asian Asian North Americans sort of have that stereotype. Mm, that's so, a good point. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's when you find an artist that helps to break those stereotypes. It's uh-huh. just refreshing and, and wonderful. Speaking yeah. of stereotypes, so let's talk a little bit about that because navigating for the director, for the performers, um, 
what for some audience members might be seen as a set of stereotypes, the rigid father, the uh, uh, generational dynamics of no, obey the structure and this and that. Um, uh, and I know that some of the Netflix uh, program has been criticized by some Korean Americans uh, for sort of slotting into some stereotypes too often. I don't think this play does that, but I'm wondering how that was to navigate and how that kind of uh, appears in the dialogue through rehearsals and choices that you're making. Well, as uh, directing a piece like this, of course, you know, when there's racial concerns and 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 characters that could be considered stereotypical, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I always just go back and look at where these stereotypes in the world come from. Uh, I mean, stereotypes are based in reality, honestly, because it's it's the fact that they exist, that the stereotype becomes what it is. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I oh. think if you focus on making these characters real, mm -hmm. yeah. um, th then then ultimately you're and you end up breaking the stereotype because people understand, oh, it's it's not you can't judge a book by its cover. Mm -hmm. You can't make these assumptions about anybody uh, because we're all just humans right. trying to get through our existence. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And this play does that so well because they're not cardboard cutouts. Nope. As soon as you mm -hmm. are maybe thinking, oh, you were moving down a stereotypical zone, their humanity comes forward. Their whole emotion, their whole sense of self comes forward and mm -hmm. the stereotype just falls away. Yeah. And then they're fully human. Yeah. Right. That's and you see the situations they're in and what the, how, what they're presented with right. and how they deal with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's it's the same as we do in life, you know. Uh, we have to make the choices and we have to break these stereotypes because, I mean, someone see me walking down the street, they're going to make assumptions. Sure. And, mm -hmm. yeah. and, you know, most of those assumptions are probably going to be wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. But once they get to know me, then, then, then they can make a more accurate picture. And I think... It's how do you give the audience a chance to get to know these characters uh, in a play to, to really break the stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about the actor who's playing uh, the father and uh, how you've come to work with him. And uh, I know, so we've uh, convinced him to come back for this production, which we're really excited about. But tell me a little about him. And, uh, well, Jimmy is awesome. Uh, it's Jimmy. He... he uh, He's actually probably played this part more than any other person in the world at this point. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I think um, as far as I last heard, he's the only other actor to have ever played Appa apart, apart from Paul, who right. who originated the role and plays it and in plays the TV, TV, series. TV yeah. series. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, because uh, I believe Instill uh, prefers to give permission to the productions that do the show, and, mm -hmm. and then, of course, he has casting approval as well. Yes. Um. But so we were just on cloud nine when he was able to do the Taproot production because uh, Scott had actually seen him perform it up in Canada uh, a year or two before the before the Taproot show. Okay. Um, uh, and we had, uh, you know, we were holding auditions and stuff and and, and uh, interviewing people that in case the the two Canadians that had already done the show <laughs> weren't available or couldn't do the type of production. That deep pool of options there. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. uh, 
uh, but but Jimmy was able to do it. And and you know, for those who don't know Jimmy by sight, he actually appears in the TV series as well. Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't um, know that. He's one of the minor characters. Oh, fun. Yeah. Also named Jimmy yeah. in the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Totally different character than Appa, <laughs> but very fun. We haven't talked about the mother uh, at all, but she is a presence. She's a bit of a more silent presence mm-hmm. when she speaks. It it comes down <laughs> pretty. <laughs> pretty intensely though. Talk to us about that character. Oh, um uh, yeah. So she's played um by um Annie Yim in our production and yeah as far as her relationship with Janet, we mm-hmm. don't actually see them interact that much uh in the play. Yeah. It's different in the T V series, but in in this show they have one brief interaction, and and it is quite explosive. Um, and I wish I wish that you know I could see more and play play more with with Janet and that relationship with her mom. Um, but I think it's clear from the the tone used and um, the nonverbal interactions they also have that you know the cultural differences really show themselves between this mother-daughter relationship where, you know, in Korea, that with it being a very patriarchal um, society, uh, her mother grew up with very strict kind of expectations as, as a woman and as a wife. And I think as as her daughter, it's even more difficult to or it's difficult to see beyond that and to have a connection with Amma because there's this really kind of obvious um, elephant in the room, or maybe that's not the best phrase, but this more apparent um, difference, even though they are both women in the same family, uh, the expectations that are placed on them and the expectations they have for themselves are so polar opposites um, that it's it's quite quite tense <laughs> for lack of better words yeah quite tense yeah. and yet as we're talking about this and the struggles there is so much um love that they are all seeking to have mm. with each other mm-hmm. i think and um that comes through so powerfully it's sort of the yearning of it that is so emotionally touching i think yeah, I like that word yearning because while while I am talking about all of this tension and conflict and mm-hmm. we keep touching on that, we also know that Janet, while she is 30, she's stayed with her parents. She's still living with them. She's still helping them with the store. And, you know, she is balancing, you know, how... How do I continue to pursue my own artistic desires as a photographer, my gaining my own sense of independence, while also being continu- continually reminded that her parents every day are taking care of this, this convenience store, and it's just them. They don't have any other employees. It's, it's a family-run business, and family is really what's at the heart of it. Right. And and it's that's a it's a constantly shifting scale of, are you on my good side today? Okay, give me a minute to cool off, and then everything is fine. And then we're oh we're back again because we didn't actually address uh, the initial 
argument. Um, you know, that's that's constantly moving, and I think that's one of the most fun parts about this show. Is like, in one scene, you're like on ice skates with each other, yep. um, and it, it's like that throughout the whole show. Right. And also, I I see Janet. Uh, frustrated that she's holding the absence of the brother, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and is had to step in as the dutiful child, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which has limited her experience and her ability to mature and blossom. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting that well, one she's she's the younger of the two, so Ince is the older brother. And um, yeah. so he, right, should kind of be the next head of the household, the one to take on more of those responsibilities in the store or just in general with the parents. And and she hasn't spoken with him since he left. Uh, whereas Amma, we learn, does kind of have... These a secret clandestine uh, meetings. Uh-huh, or she doesn't right. kind of have them. Yeah. She does have these clandestine meetings with, with Jung, and so again, that's another moment where we see, see family and and the, the kind of sometimes, illogical and unexplainable bond that that keeps families together or keeps them you know, trying. Um, in spite of maybe getting hurt in the process, still yeah. still yearning for that sense of love and connection with each yeah. other. It's that, that underlying uh, bubbling of, of love and, and duty that, mm. that, mm-hmm. that they all Duty. Share. Oh, that's a good word. Yeah. Uh, frame there. Yeah. So there are other characters uh, that flow in and out. <laughs> and to me, this is so much fun because it talks about the multicultural nature of our big urban environment and mm-hmm. the convenience store at the center of that multiculturalism. Those intersections bring all sorts of different <laughs> perspectives and commentaries uh, and um, relationships uh, that come and go. How, uh, th- I mean, that's, and, and they're all played by one actor, which is so much fun to watch. And um, and yet I think that is so much a part of the real life uh, experience, especially when you're running an urban center like that, that you don't know who's going to walk in the door, right? right? Mm-hmm. How's that been to explore? And uh, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, <clears throat> so one, one actor, one extra actor does play all the extra characters that, that come and shop at the store or visit the store or, or really have relationships with the family. Um, and, and in our production, it's played by an actor, a wonderful actor named Obadiah Freeman. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, he, he has crazy frantic costume changes backstage <laughs> <laughs> to, to do these parts. Cause uh, you know, the, the, the play is the, the pace of the play is so quick and fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> That you know, he he literally comes on as one character to do some shopping, and then goes off and comes back as another character just a moment or two later, uh, and you know, it's a completely different character, uh, different, inside and out. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, different everything. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of fun, to, uh, and that's a lot of it was it was a it was a fun to direct it as well. <laughs> and it's so great to see that sort of. Um, external world outside of the walls of the city come inside 
and spark different reactions yeah. uh, mm-hmm. from yeah. the characters. And it keeps yeah. the audience on its toes because you don't know who's going to walk in next. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly, right? So um, I will also tell you that as I watched this, I couldn't help uh, think back to uh, 2005 and... Um, I think that's when it was. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Uh, the Rodney King riots. I think it was actually even earlier than that. 1992. 1992. Goodness gracious. <laughs> and oh, 30 years ago. The chaos that came out. That's right. It's the 30th anniversary this year. The chaos that came out of that and the um, uh, sort of tearing apart and the unwrenching uh, between the African-American community and the Korean community, this became an uh really harsh intersection point as mm-hmm. uh, Korean American stores were being raided and looted sort of as the symbol of of power and or um, invasion by a different culture. Of course, that's not uh, such a easy depiction and you know there's since been a lot of healing work to be done between the communities mm-hmm. uh, all around the country. But I I will say that that was in the back of my mind watching this play as these characters were coming through and what those relationships were like, particularly from the father's response. You know, his mm-hmm. he is um, both welcoming and paranoid at the same time, right? And so I'm wondering, was that a part of the discussion and how has that uh, resonated back into the different characters and the action of the play. Um, definitely, I, I mean, there, there's a point in the show when when um, Appa actually brings up a, his experience about uh, about that 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 particular riot at that particular uh, point in history, um, and uh, uh, I think I think uh, just from being in the community, he he sort of has a, a an innate apprehension about uh-huh. just whoever's walking in, mm-hmm. um, but uh, he's also developed his quirky and really amusing <laughs> way of, of dealing with that, you know, uh, and uh, and and we see how, you know, once again, stereotypes are being broken and and the true humanity of people is shining through instead, as uh, he, he makes these global assumptions about people in general but but the ones he gets to know uh that totally is blown out out of the water exactly it pierces through his stereotype and his paranoia and all of that yeah and it becomes once again like you just said a real person yeah right Mm -hmm. so it's great yeah Yeah. and in that moment when appa does directly mention or talks about the 1992 la riots it is another moment, like you said, where it kind of sets up the audience to think they know what's going to happen. Right. They think they know what Appa's going to say yeah. because our, I think our, our culture in general is still grappling with all these stereotypes, right? And, and being um, informed subconsciously of how we should perceive or expect others to act. And in that moment, Appa does the unexpected, or he yeah. gives a response that was also the experience of many Korean store owners um, and business owners during the riots. Uh, it was not 
one that was black and white of purely Korean business owners versus, you know, black American looters um, as I think is often the the easier route for for telling the narrative in, in the media. Um, it was, yeah, it was a much more uh, complicated <laughs> yeah, nuanced time. And, nuanced and, 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 and truthful yeah. too at the same time, right? Exactly, yeah. truthful, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I... When I when I read the script and 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 saw that Appa mentioned that I that was the first time I had seen the riots mentioned in a play and a play focusing on you know Korean North Americans right. uh, for that matter because I didn't learn about the riots until I went to grad school so it, it took me moving to, to a different country halfway across the world and pursuing my my master's degree to learn my own history as a as a Korean American, and I'm so glad that INS included that because it it is a part of of my history and and also American history mm -hmm. um, that kind I don't know I mean I felt like it kind of got swept under the rug after after like the mid 90s um, and. The 25th anniversary was back in 2017. Can yeah. I count? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. And at that point, you know, the the Black Lives Matter movement was having this huge, you know, yeah. surge. Sure. And I remember thinking, did we really not learn anything? Um, this is a bit of a tangent, but it was. Uh, now, now in the thirtieth thirtieth year, I hope that everyone who comes sees come and sees Kim's convenience um, will want to do their own research and be reminded of of what happened well, in 1992. I, I love that it is a part of the play and that it's um, uh, a quiet, uh, under bass mm -hmm. tone uh, to the play, and isn't that the best part about theater that we can engage um, uh, drama and storytelling in a way that opens up empathy, opens up understanding, breaks down stereotypes, and uh, puts a light on this thing that is so such a sickness in humanity about um, othering mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. uh, other people in our community and in our world, right? There's always another to be targeted. And I think the theater breaks that down better than anybody else and that we strip uh, to see that we're all in this together, you know? And I think this play accomplishes that in a really wonderful, human, funny, uh, and joyful way. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 What haven't we talked about? Anything that you want to tell me about the audience response? So you, because you've already done this, you had mm. a whole series of audience come to you. How? What? What were the things that really jumped out at you from how an audience responded? Um, uh, you know, we always forget, like in the middle of rehearsals, which we're already in right now. You know, just how funny the play is. Yeah. It's just hysterically funny, but you, and you forget all the points that the audience is laughing out loud, right? Hysterically sometimes. Uh, uh, I, I think that it's just like opening night or, or first preview when we did it at Taproot. It was just such a such a joy to just be in that room uh, <laughs> and to hear the response 
because it's just like it, it you know it's like oh yes we right, we got yes, it we got it yeah exactly. that's the way it's supposed to be uh-huh um, it feels good, doesn't it, when that it happens? Yeah. Good. And yeah. I think it feels it feels good to be a part of that it, that cathartic sort of uh, just ensemble that the audience creates with the ensemble on stage. Absolutely. Mm. Um, because th- they're just right in there with us. You're united. Yeah. yeah. How about yeah. for you? Yeah. yeah. If anyone comes to see the show, if people will be coming to see the show, what am I saying? But... It's, there is so much laughter. It erupts. It it's it kind of catches people off guard, I think. I feel like a lot of the laughter, it's not just like pleasant chuckles. Uh, it's it's like roars like, oh my God, I can't believe this. They they actually said that or we're going there. Um and it's cathartic for me as as the actor playing Janet because I feel like a lot of the audience's vocal reactions are what Janet's also experiencing internally, but she's trying to to continue a conversation and um, you know progress in her relationship with with Appa, so she can't kind of have as many like outward yeah um, kind of laugh laughter or if audiences laugh, it's because they see Janet and her frustration. Which I'm totally happy. I'm totally fine with that. But um, I was also uh, I was also glad to hear from audiences that I met after uh, the shows how they weren't expecting to feel uncomfortable. But that sounds that sounds not how I, I'm meaning to say it. <laughs> um, I found that in my discussions with people after they came to see the Tappert production, they were, um, yes, so, so glad to see a show like this that was so human at the heart of it, right? Mm-hmm. And having all of those nuances, um, but also with that, allowing to have these kind of awkward interactions and conversations, um, like, you know, with Appa and... Um, the people who come through his store, but also, you know, between the the parents and and their children, and it's it's a show like you mentioned before that that can go from so quickly being hilarious and then getting right down to the serious meat of it, and then going back up to something else, and and I felt like audiences were delightfully surprised by that, and it's so. By that surprise, it's so fulfilling uh, for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's one of the more uh, fulfilling and enjoyable shows I've seen in years. I hope uh, y'all at home will come and check this out. Leah Lee uh, playing Janet in Kim's Convenience. Thank you for being here. Thank you David for inviting Shea, me. David uh, Shea, co-director with Scott Nolte. Uh, uh, thank you for your leadership and f- uh, for bringing this play to life. It's been a pleasure, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. We want to thank our sponsors, Columbia Bank and Tacoma Creates. Uh, we also will remind audiences that Kim's Convenience runs at Theater on the Square in downtown Tacoma, June 2nd through the 19th. Tickets are available at TacomaArtsLive.org. And we want to tell you we're getting ready to announce uh, our upcoming season which will include about 25 different uh, productions, some touring from all around the world, and 
Uh, we're going to be producing two large shows uh, in our theater program in the Armory next season. One is called The Last Days of Judas Iscariot, and it'll be an immersive experience in the Armory for the audience. And the second show is The Gospel at Colonus, which is a musical version of gospel music telling the story of Oedipus. You won't want to miss either one of those. You can find out more after May 31 when we announce the full season at TacomaRetsLive.org. I want to thank all of you at home for listening. And until next time, I'm David Fisher with Tacoma Arts Live. Thank you. This program is brought to you by On Purpose Recordings. Created and produced by Chris Blunt. Mixed and edited by Joff Gibbs.